You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Now, my special guest today has just had a new book published. It's called When Jesus Met Hippies. It's an amazing story, and you're going to have the socks blown off you this morning. I'll tell you, I'm just giving you advance warning. But before we get to the book, I'm going to uh, talk to Andrew about, about how he came to faith. Well, you brought up in a, in a, in a Christian family. I wasn't, I wasn't actually, actually blessed. So uh, I was brought up on a farm in North London. Yes, seriously, oh honestly was. E-I-E-O. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So Parkside Farm is just inside the M25. Okay. So I was uh, brought up there. Uh, brought up in a fairly sort of moral middle class home, not uh, explicitly Christian at all. So but, good people, good people. Yeah, yeah. So my entire family, from bottom to top age-wise, were converted over a two-year period. Oh, fantastic. Amazing, amazing thing. And how did it happen to you? Okay. So um, my brother and sister, uh, younger, younger, younger than me, they actually got got converted. And I thought, what absolute maniacs. You know, they're crazy. What are they doing throwing their brains away? So I adopted that. Kind of so arro- you, arrogant you, stance, were really. Were you a sort of intellectual person? Reasonably so. A, a Reasonably per, a so. thinking person, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And would you have called yourself agnostic or atheist? I don't think I would have called myself anything, uh, actually. Yeah. So, you know, I was, a, I was a classic non-believer, kind of middle-of-the-road hippie, hippie type. I mean, I wasn't the full-blown deal, yeah. but nonetheless sort of broadly uh, hippie. So... Cutting to the chase here, so my brother and sister had been to this Christian rock musical at the famous, iconic Rainbow Theatre in Finsbury Park in London. Ah. And they come back really, really excited because it, it was the story of a hippie coming to know Jesus in San Francisco. So they came back really, really pumped up and they shared this uh, with me during the holiday, during the summer vacation between second and third year at university. So I was ostensibly studying economics at Leeds. So they dragged me along to this presentation. You're talking late August 1973. And I was confronted with the person of Jesus firsthand. I actually had a little bit of kind of Sunday school background for two, three uh, three years uh, previously. But at the tender age of 20, came to faith in the Rainbow Theatre there, uh, led to Jesus by a German guy who's still a close friend of mine called Christian Beasts. And he prayed with me at the end of the production. It was a very, very cutting edge production. production called Lonesome Stone uh, and actually it features in my book on many many occasions too so uh, that is my basic story I could give you the two hour version but probably not not well, not best I'll tell you best what, right now in the new year you can come back and do the two hour version but but let's just talk I me mean, so how was your life impacted from from yeah. hearing the gospel responding to the gospel yeah. how did that then impact your life I think I can honestly safely say it impacted my life profoundly and pretty much uh, pretty much instantaneously. You know, I do have friends who've come to faith gradually, you know, so I wouldn't say that my way is the way uh, at all. I, I wouldn't be quite that naive and, and, and simplistic. But for me, it was an encounter with the person of Jesus. I was just absolutely... Um, Were you taken by surprise? 
I was. I was. I was indeed. I mean, when I read that that title, Surprised by Joy, of, yeah. of Lewis's uh, amazing book, totally, totally surprised by joy. So how did it change my life? Um, I went out within a few days and bought a brown leather RSV Bible. I began to read it voraciously. I mean, I was so hungry, mm. absolutely hungry for, for truth. I started going along to the local Brethren Church and being really honest here without being dishonouring, um, I felt like a total fish out of water. I mean, culturally, mm. I was coming from a totally different culture to kind of classic conservative Christian church culture. So I must admit, I found it a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Although so, you would have had good Bible teaching. I had an excellent Bible teaching, particularly tongue-in-cheek slightly here, on the book of Hebrews. (laughs) Because the brethren tend to like the book of Hebrews extreme amounts. So, you know, I was well-schooled, particularly in the book of of Hebrews. But no, I mean, their their stress on Scripture, their kind of body ministry um, environment, their actual emphasis on on world mission, you know, all of that has had immense staying power and and, and beauty to me. Well, I, w- I was brought up in the Presbyterian Church in yeah, Ireland, yeah. and uh, there were five hundred young people in my Sunday school. Wow! Of course, it was only it was only years later yeah. that I realised that, and I don't know whether you had the same thing that lots of scripture was going into me. Yes, but I didn't know it was going into me. You know, absolutely, it was, it was later on that it, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 so. Um, then I went back to university, kind of September, October '73, as a brand new Christian. I mean, I'd lived a pretty godless, dark lifestyle for two years. Mm. Came back, and then my friends kind of interacted with me as as friends do, and I could tell they couldn't understand what on earth had happened. Well, I was going to ask that because obviously your family, people who were yeah, close yeah. to your friends and yeah, so on, sure. they must have been a bit gobsmacked as to this changed under. They were a wee bit gobsmacked, yeah. that, is, that is for sure. I mean, yes, I don't want to go into too much darkness, but I was involved in a lot of darkness spiritually, yeah, yeah. promiscuity, etc., um, drugs to, and did all some, that stop? to some level. Yes. Was that over a period of time? Absolutely. No, no, no. I mean, obviously, you know, you have to bear in mind that when you've lived that kind of lifestyle, it doesn't happen instantaneously on one on one level. But yes, I mean, substantially, the answer is is yes, because Jesus rescued me, Mm. you know, and I'm far from superficial. But nonetheless, there's lots of growing, lots of leaving stuff stuff behind, etc. So, now obviously you talked about the culture of the church being yeah. a bit hard for you. Yeah, yeah. But did God send other people into your life who were yeah. actually able to encourage you? Absolutely. So two people, two people stand out. The curate of the Anglican chaplaincy at Leeds University was a guy called Stuart Byrne. Burns, rather. Uh, he's now an abbot, actually, interestingly. Abbot he, Burns. <laughs> he helped me. He had me around for, for chips and chat and all the rest of it. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. So big shout out to Stuart Burns there. And secondly, I just bumped into a newly arrived Campus Crusade for Christ team. 
they were coming two couples um, uh, the Puses and the, and the Spencers came to Leeds University early 1973 I bumped into them and got discipled by Nigel which was wonderful so Nigel discipled me took me out witnessing he actually dumped me in it regularly you know <laughs> so we would we would walk around halls of residence there and knock on doors, engage people in conversation, and regularly, jolly old Nigel would say to me, Andy, why don't you share with these guys right now your story? And I kind of thought, heavens above, this is slightly early, isn't it? Yes. So I was actually schooled as a Christian disciple from pretty much so get-go. was there from the beginning then? Absolutely. Yeah. And I probably haven't lost it. Yeah. Well, let's have your first piece of music. So we go to San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, now, you haven't got a flower in your hair this morning. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's have a listen. Why this song, by the way? Okay. So so basically, it's a kind of iconic, iconic song, really. It's taken from the 1967 Summer of Love, which is a very important uh, point, as we will see later. You know, in terms of Jesus people history, 1967 is the key year that things began to slowly but surely kick off in California and other places as well. Andrew, before we get into talking about the, the books, there's so much that we've yeah. got to talk about uh, today. But obviously, you've had a very exciting life because you've been lecturing at Moreland's Bible College. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. but, well, tell us I mean, some, a, a quick dip into your career and, and how, okay. God, how God used you yeah. in the early days. So without giving a kind of glorified CV. <laughs> yes, you've got the job, Andrew. It's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, following, following graduation, I just scraped through with a third class honours economics degree. I did not do particularly well there. You weren't so, academic, yeah. Well, yes, yes and no. Yes, yes, no. yes, yes probably. But, but hey, I didn't. I didn't. You I didn't, didn't apply I didn't yourself. work. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Too right, too right. So 1974, joined Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Agape UK. And so I engaged in university student evangelism, discipling, etc. for the next seven years. Which, of course, you'd been trained in from your friend. Who Abs- absolutely. You. Yeah. And, and actually, they were truly formative, exciting, resourcing years. You know, just learning nuts and bolts ministry. There was nothing stage uh, about it at all you know it was not public stages at all far from it, it was just interacting with people discipling new christians training them equipping them so did that for for seven years then went to london bible college to get some academic theology and got a reasonable mark mark there so um and then went into pastoring. To my utter surprise, we'd always anticipated going into church planting overseas in different cultures. And uh, This is you and your wife, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So how, did you, Rosie, how did you meet her? Ah, well, there's another romantic story. <laughs> we like romantic stories in Hope FM. So essentially, we met when I was on team with Campus Crusade in Edinburgh in the late 70s. And we've both gone through broken engagements as, as Christians. Very, very traumatic, uh, actually. But we met, were attracted to one another, slightly nervous, 
but actually began to get together properly in 1979, married in 1980. Yeah. And then in 81, went to Bible college for the next three years, had our first kid, which is wonderful. So Philip came along in 1983. So three years, Bible college, and then to our utter, utter surprise, I mean, literally, we had this running joke, absolutely seriously, the whole three years of Bible college, Rosie and I would joke to one another, wait until we get to be pastors of Upper Pigglesbury Baptist Church. Upper Pigglesbury? Now, you will not find that in the Baptist Union handbook because <laughs> it is mythical. But we used to joke, ha, 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 very, very funny. You know, instead of being church planters, we're going to go to this little country Baptist church. Well, what did God do? And did it actually exist, this church? No. Oh. It is totally, utterly mythical, Blair. Mm. So God sent us to Godmanchester, which is right next door to Huntingdon, Cambridgeshire. Yeah. And so I led the Baptist church there for almost 12 years. We saw incredible growth. I mean, people saved, baptized, discipled, equipped, empowered. Actually, the sort of fresh breath of the Holy Spirit began to, began to feed through. Um, so it was an amazing time. I mean, it was tricky time too so first five years were particularly difficult well but you get that in every church abs- don't you absolutely yeah. but you gave it's a growing vibrant church you're going absolutely. to get a bit of attack aren't you absolutely so that is a kind of quickie whiz 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 tour really so you know now i'm we are part of part of god's first church yes. in Christchurch here and of course that's and an exciting story in it's, its own right it's a, isn't it's it it's a Fascinating, fascinating story. So, yeah. and are you on the leadership team there? <laughs> depends. Depends entirely how you define leadership team. Uh, we are, are recognised as being part of wider, wider leadership, basically. So, what's your real passion, Andrew? I mean, I always mm. ask people. You know, yeah. uh, over the years, many people have come to me for career advice. You know, mm. and I, I ask everybody the same question. Yeah. What rings your bell? Okay. What makes you excited to get up in the morning? I can tell you in three words. Three words, really. Jesus. Painfully obvious, but nonetheless, it needs to be said because Absolutely. some of us adopt a kind of, you know, it's it's more church, it's I more religion, <laughs> it's more ethics. Yes, yeah. For me, mate, I signed up to follow Jesus. Yeah. I'm enamored with Jesus. He alone has the words of eternal life. I cannot go from him. Amen. To save my life, yeah, amen. You to know, that. Yeah. I'm I'm perfectly prone to failing and and to you don't to say absolutely, you say you're absolutely. not perfect, <laughs> Andrew. Come on, please, honestly. Hey, I tell you, I could keep you here all morning, afternoon, but um, but Jesus is is so gracious. Out of His fullness, we've all received grace upon grace, one blessing after another. So number one, Jesus. Number two, evangelism. Whatever word you you want to use. By which I mean simply communicating Jesus at every conceivable level, whether I'm preaching, teaching, training, um, evangelizing personally, chatting, gossiping the gospel. Being on the radio even. Even even doing that, even being on Hope FM, I can still be evangelistic. And Well, we could make you our in-house evangelist, <laughs> shouldn't we? Uh, just, there's a contract there beside you. Just If you wouldn't mind signing well, it, that'd be fine. It yeah. actually says... On this particular contract here, um, rewards out of this world? or Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, okay. Yes. okay. Uh, not in the present, but you know, is, in the future. Pay, pay, is, pay <laughs> is not that great, but rewards out of this world. Exactly. <laughs> so Jesus, evangelism, and prophecy. 
Oh, you're prophetic. I am absolutely passionate about being prophetic, being part of a prophetic yeah. people. Let's just talk about that because mm. people may not know what we mean by sure. that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I would yeah, also sure. say that recently God has given me prophetic gifts, but it's, yeah. it's taken me a while. But in your words, what, what, how would you describe prophecy? Well, again, extremely long story. But um, in my estimation, studying Scripture really, really carefully, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, that you might prophesy. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul obviously values prophecy highly. Prophecy basically is earthed in Scripture, I believe, and also earthed in the Holy Spirit, inspiring us to actually bring a relevant message from God. A now word is that people? A kind of now word, a kind of Kairos moment, moment word, really, which is a kind of timely, timely word. So, in my own experience many of my kind of prophetic words are appropriate scripture they're very very timely scripture and sometimes it's remarkable because you bring a scripture to somebody i can remember one particular church weekend praying over somebody bringing them a certain scripture too long ago to remember and they said they just kind of sat up and, and said that was my baptism verse from years and years ago. So, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, very often I get scripture. Sometimes I get words and sentences. Occasionally I get pictures. Occasionally I just get some kind of impression yeah. of what is the heart of God toward this peep, this person, yeah. this individual, this cu- this couple, this group, sometimes this particular church church fellowship. So that, in essence, I think is prophecy. Yeah. I don't think it's anything, by the way, to be scared of, but we, do, uh, we are told clearly in Scripture to weigh and to test prophecy clearly. Oh, yeah. So I would say to anybody starting out, never allow yourself to be bullied by prophecies mm. because you need to measurely... Particularly directional prophecies. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like, you will marry yeah. such and such, or, well, or yeah, give up yeah, all your yeah. money and go to Africa, yeah. or whatever. I think I think the more weighty the prophecy, purported prophecy, that is not speaking sceptically. No, it's, t- it's just being sensible, isn't it? It's, it's testing, just to say, testing. sometimes in my experience, yeah. Christians have been far too gullible. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. One, they don't know their Bibles well enough to tell the difference uh, and two sometimes they will just accept some charismatic figure yeah. bringing them something that purports to be from God now it may well be yeah. who knows Yeah, but it may well not be mm. and often of course prophecy according to Paul at least is a mixed thing so we prophesy in part, says says Paul in 1 Corinthians yeah. 13. So I can get excited about prophecy. Do you get a, a sense of – one of the things I love about mm. it, and, and I, I guess that for me I'm quite a newbie in all of this, yeah, but, yeah. but having said that, I get – a tremendous sense of power and mm. love, an overwhelming yeah. sense of love for the people yeah. with whom I'm sharing the words. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's wonderful, I usually say to people – does this mean anything to you? No doubt you've Excellent done that. practice. Yeah. Excellent practice. And let me just underline, because you brought up the, the most important point. We often read 1 Corinthians 13 at wedding services. That's fine, but there's a big but coming here. Yes. We need to know that's a spiritual gift sandwich. 
sandwiched between 12 and 14, 12, yeah. 13, 14, are entirely about the use and abuse of spiritual gifts. Yeah. Why is 1 Corinthians 13 bang in the middle there? Love wins the day, basically. Absolutely, Because yeah. if yeah. you don't love people no. in God, how on earth can you encourage them? Because the, the heart of prophecy, Blair... I think is encouragement. Yes, it's a yes. very strong thread of encouragement in prophecy. If you love people, how on earth can you encourage them? And the other thing that that has come to me very plainly, I'd be interested to hear your view on yeah. it. But I've been quite shocked, really, about the the effect of satanic, uh, almost, well, lies, basically. Yeah. And yeah. people have believed the most awful lies over many, many years. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love is whenever Jesus speaks the truth and yes. says, the devil is a liar, he's a liar now, he's been yes. a liar from the beginning, yeah. and yeah. you yeah. don't believe a word that he says. Absolutely. Uh, have you had a, a lot of that as you prayed for people, where you've seen that they believe these terrible lies of Satan? Yeah. And, and as a result of, of course, the They've been almost paralyzed in in their Christian development. Abs- absolutely, I mean, I would I would be a relatively strong believer in actually speaking out Scripture. You know, just simply taking taking the words of Scripture, taking appropriate Scripture, particularly I think about who we are are in Christ. You know, if you're a Christian believer, there are certain many many things said about us in Christ. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1. And then that is unpatched greatly. You know my favorite thing I like saying? Go on, yeah. I'm a blood-washed son of the living God. Absolutely. Uh, And and so are you, Andrew. Absolutely. We should know that the the death of Jesus on the cross, and we shouldn't fear Satan, because obviously Jesus has made a public display. Uh, One of the things that I've been thinking, here we are in Advent, Mm. and of course many churches uh, talk about the second coming, but one of the things that God has impressed upon, and it's in your book, is that actually the second coming isn't actually the next major event. Sure. But what sure. is Andrew? What is? Well, who knows? I think I think personally that we are about to see fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit. It's in your book, Actu- isn't it? Yeah. Abs- absolutely. I mean, let me be absolutely clear here to, uh, to I actually view the periods without being too complex the time here. Yeah. I actually Nobody view knows, do we? the time frame between the first coming of the Lord Jesus, the second coming return of the Lord Jesus. That is the last days. That is the year of the Lord's favor, as Jesus taught it. Yeah. So that is the age of the Spirit. The Spirit's always around, always at work. But I do think also, as per the Acts of the Apostles, there are times and seasons where God seems to pour out his Spirit much more overtly, much more manifestly. And yeah. to my mind, I'm looking forward to fresh revival, to times of refreshing. However, one defines it. But hear me rightly here on this particular issue I think my passion is for evangelism my passion is for, outsi- Jesus, for outsiders yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think there's, a, there's a, a blessing to be had in times of refreshing for believers Oh yes. but if that doesn't issue outwards I think I'm not particularly content well you see looking at my own family and I, I don't know what your family is mm. like but many of our friends and families that don't know Jesus yeah and it, and it's always been concerned I mean even when you're part of a of of a of a broader church which yeah. where they're closing churches more often than they're opening them sure 
I get very indignant about that. I think this is not right. This is not yes. honouring to yes. God. Yes. Uh, uh, and even if we say, oh, that denomination won't be here in so many years, yes. I fully believe it's dishonouring to God because yeah. judgment be- does begin with the house of God. Yes. But the whole purpose, as you quite rightly say, is for the people beyond the walls. And of Absolutely. course, coming out of COVID and all of this yeah. stuff, mental health, depression, suicide on the increase. Absolutely. And here we have the word of life uh, that we can hold out to people. Philippians chapter 2. Actually, just a really, really quick story from, from, from the book here. So I actually have one devoted chapter to the cross-carrying evangelist, Arthur, Arthur Blessed, who oh, made yeah. an incredible Did impression. Did you ever get to meet him? I did once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, That's, I interrupted absolutely. you. Absolutely. No, no, no. So Arthur and friends were walking with the cross from London to Edinburgh. And he was brokenhearted because many times in his walking through towns, villages, cities, etc., he saw boarded up churches or even converted churches into shops, whatever. whatever, And it broke his heart. And it just exemplified to me that amazing, amazing story there exemplifies the heart and spirit of of Jesus people, basically, because, you know, Jesus people want to get the gospel out on the streets into the marketplace. They don't want to keep it within four walls of a church. So, you know, but he was thoroughly provoked by seeing, sadly, these buildings shut up very often. So I recount that particular episode yeah absolutely in, in when jesus met hippies anyway let's have your next piece of music yeah, and, thank uh, you. and then we'll go down to uh to chat with adrian who yeah, actually excellent. sadly has got covid but oh, no. but it's not going to stop him talking to me because <laughs> i'm able to phone him at home oh, bless but, adrian. But all you folk who uh listen on this program to yeah. adrian week by week pray for him lift him up yeah, he's a good uh, man he's a great man and uh, and uh, we love him and uh, but as i say he did he needs healing from the dreaded covid yeah anyway now, i guess we ought to turn our attention to your book yeah thank you now before we say anything what was it that inspired you to write this book oh my word that is a very interesting question so essentially i have been researching my spiritual roots for the last 10 years plus i mean part-time obviously uh so i've been really really curious and um just wanting to know, so what's my spiritual DNA? What are my kind of historic spiritual roots in Jesus people? And so I've been reading and thinking and uh, articles, books, etc., interviewing people more, more recently. So it's been a 10-year venture. So I have really felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to write something meaningful that's actually accessible to um, ordinary, ordinary Christians. It is not a kind of academic book it's well researched but nonetheless it is readable hopefully now, um, the other angle of course you're taking is that although these events yeah. happened well california but all over the yeah, states sure but of sure. course they happened here in the uk now your book Abs- takes a slightly different Abs- angle doesn't absolutely it? so if you want to look for books about the usa there are piles and piles of books past tense and also slightly slightly present tense and there's one key book by john 
Smith, who was a kind of greenbelt legend uh, from Australia. So two main books currently, one main book from Australia, two main books from the the United States. There's never literally been anything written at all in terms of kind of compiling what was the impact of this revival upon us here in the UK. So, you know, it is genuinely unique. That is not just sales pitch. You know, the book is genuinely well, unique. Well, I've been saying at the beginning of the program, I've not read the book yet. Yeah. But having said that, that, that I only got my copy today, folks. But, of course. But, but I can promise you this. If you buy this book and if you listen to this program, you, you will have your socks blessed off you. Mm, thank because you. Because we're, we're talking about not only what Jesus has done. Yeah but what he is doing and what he purposes to do. So Absolutely. listen carefully. Absolutely. So uh, did it take you long to, to write the book? Um, I actually I actually began writing uh, during, during lockdown. So I was penning away, typing away, laptop, etc., um, since lockdown. And then I totted up the word count, Blair, which is an interesting story here. Oh, God. I totted up the word count. I mean, given that most paperbacks are roughly sort of 55, 60,000 words, Mm -hmm. I totted up my word count. It was 220,000 words. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I thought, I don't think I want to bore people here. Well, you could have done a series of (laughs) calls and books. I know. I know. Absolutely. So seriously speaking, I actually panned those down to 80,000 words. So it's it's a word of some substance but also it's a very thrilling exciting read and i include lots and lots of god stories you know so it's, it's jam-packed full with god's god stories uh, about people here in the uk because again that is so little publicized i mean number one people in the uk know very little about jesus people generally um, and number two, they certainly do not know the kind of Jesus people roots of many things that they'd be familiar with here in the UK even today. So the whole revolution, for example, in worship music being much more contemporary, that was partly influenced by, partly came out of the soil of Jesus people, partly, you know, yeah, not, yeah. not not. Not entirely. Well, culture holy. was very important, wasn't it? Right. So, so, so for for example, uh, Grand Kendrick, bless him, who's a lovely, humble, humble man. I interviewed him. His roots go back to kind of 1972ish. Calvary Chapel in California. And he Chuck went Smith. there. Yeah, absolutely. He went there on one of his very first tours with his friend Simon Dennis, uh, a bass player, wonderful, wonderful guy. I interviewed him, and it really impacted Graham and Simon together there in 1972. They went to Calvary Chapel, saw all these converted hippies, met the bands like like Love Song, uh, Karen Lafferty, etc., um, and were really inspired. I mean, having said that, as I record in my, in my book carefully, when they brought that kind of excitement, enthusiasm back, they actually wanted to make it culturally appropriate for the UK. So, you know, US and UK, good, close friendship – Yes, but Very different we need cultures. to actually yeah. make things contextual, culturally yeah. uh, for the UK. So, you know, he was deeply influenced, as was Dave Bilbra. Had a fascinating interview that's all in the book there with Dave Bilbra, uh, famed for, um, oh, come on, Andrew. What is he famed for in, ter- in terms of um, songs? Um, Father, Father, Father God, I wonder. Oh. 
Yes. Father. Yeah. So he was deeply influenced by the great Larry Norman. So, yeah. So all sorts of influences. Well, talking about Larry Norman, shall we play him? Why not? Uh, I wish we'd all been ready. That's a a good segue, wasn't it? (laughs) Why have you chosen this one? Okay. Because simply put, one of the key themes... Uh, I actually highlight 10 marks of Jesus people just to help us get a handle on what is this Jesus people thing. One of the core 10 marks is end times thinking, teaching. So, you know, we're talking here about expecting the coming, the return of the king, the the return of King Jesus. That was one of the core marks. And so what Larry is saying within this iconic song, which is probably one of the most anthemic Jesus people songs is to get ready for the return of Jesus. And by the way, I think it's probably poignant for today's world. We don't talk enough about it yet. Amen. Today. Yeah. Well, Andrew Whitman is my guest today. We're talking about his his brand new book, uh, When Jesus Met Hippies. Uh, And we were just talking about the culture. So Mm. tell us a bit more. So for people who know nothing about the culture of hippies and and the sorts of things they stood for, tell us more. Okay. That is a very, very interesting, interesting question. So basically, um, hippiedom sort of came about sort of late, late 60s, really. Um, I guess we're talking long hair, drugs, alternative li- uh, lifestyle, music, they were searching, music, weren't they? music festivals. Sorry? They were searching, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the underlying things there was a frustration with parents' generations, uh, slightly, you know, post-war optimism, uh, etc. after after the um the second 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 world war um so you know i think one of those profound things about hippies was they were searching for something bigger something much more substantial they were turning away from sort of crass materialism you know which which is interesting so it was a very much a searching generation searching in all the wrong places i mean sex drugs rock and roll are they going to satisfy? Probably not, actually. So, you know, there's a sense of optimism on one hand, but also realism eventually, you know, just facing the fact that, say, sexual promiscuity is producing um, STDs, sexual transmi- uh, transmitted diseases, it, yeah. unwanted pregnancies, etc. Drugs are giving you not just a high, but lows too, bad trips, etc. So, Hippiedom was not all it's cracked up to be. It had some bright moments, some kind of light moments, but also some very, very dark moments as well. Now, into this this scene, yeah. certainly in the States beginning, yeah. steps, first of all, Pastor Chuck Smith. Yes. Uh, his church was interesting, wasn't it? His church was highly interesting. I mean, I mean, Chuck Smith was the founder of the classic Calvary Chapel movement. So essentially, one of the things to most remember about Chuck and Kay Smith is simply this. They were pretty conservative four-square Pentecostal pastors. They came to this new church in California there, Newport 
beach beach uh, area there and they used to drive their car down to the beach and look at these hippies they weren't looking in a sympathetic way blair believe me oh, they no, were they not weren't. sympathetic for one second in actual fact chuck was much more hostile than than Kay was so god the holy spirit began to do something special within Kay and chuck smith as they sat there in their car and criticized these long-haired yobbos and louts who needed a good haircut and a good, clean, proper job, you know, so they sat there. The Holy Spirit began to work on them. Then they encountered very, very long story that I recount in my book, uh, obviously. They encountered Lonnie Frisbee. Yeah, he was a character in his own right, wasn't he? Was he was a character, 110% character. So they encountered him through their daughter Jeanette and her boyfriend John Nicholson, as is recounted uh, in Jesus' Revolution film. Uh, and so they welcomed Lonnie into their home. He was the first hippie they'd ever had first-hand contact with. Very, very soon as a new believer, he was taken onto the staff there and won hundreds of hippie types to Jesus. So it's basically a kind of team thing. It was like a glorious tag team wrestler wrestling wise so chuck smith taught the bible verse by verse expounding scripture and lonnie frisbee was kind of evangelist sharing jesus signs and wonders miracles etc for a season for a relatively short season the two worked together now of course this is shown in the film that jesus yeah, Revolution. yeah. folks if you yeah. haven't seen it i think it is coming to netflix soon i think uh, i think so but, i think but, so but yeah. if you haven't seen the jesus revolution a very good watch go and see it yeah, yeah absolutely uh, uh, now of course it made me laugh actually because uh, chuck's church was very traditional it was and then all of a sudden there's these hundreds of hippies yeah, yeah. and yeah and some of the congregation were a wee bit disturbed weren't they well Again, there's a there's an incredibly iconic story there. So in in brief, lots and lots of these hippie types came in in their bare feet. They were a little bit smelly sometimes. They were not particularly well well washed, not particularly good personal hygiene. Mm-hmm. And yet they were coming into church, getting saved, getting discipled, hearing Chuck's teaching, seeing signs and wonders, etc. And one of the church members there, much more staid, conservative type, turned up one Sunday morning before anybody had got to the church door. He placed on the on the ch- the front of the church door a sign: "Barefoot, bare feet, not allowed." And he pinned it to the door. Mm. Chuck was raging when he later got to the church uh, facility there to lead the morning the morning the morning service he saw this sign he was entirely in, incensed absolutely incensed he tore it down in blind rage he called his board together later that day he pointed them to James chapter 2 and he said we're doing exactly what James teaches us not to do there and that is to show favoritism for state conservative insiders and we're discriminating against these hippie new believers, and he just that was a turn that was a turning point, Blair. Yeah. That was a powerful symbolic turning point, because what he was saying symbolically there was, anyone can come. The gospel is open to everybody. If you want to come in your bare feet, and interestingly, here's a very interesting fact here, and absolutely true. 
they had furnished this new church building that was pretty brand new with a brand new carpet, very expensive carpet. Mm -hmm. And the concern was, how can we afford this carpet to be sport at such a an early stage in our church life, in so our growing church it, life. It was a religion of the worst kind, wasn't it? Somewhat. Mm, yeah. Definitely. And, that you know, I mean, honestly, had that sign stayed up, I perished the thought of what might have happened consequentially. Now, obviously, very quickly passing over, it, yeah. it became a great movement, actually, yeah, and, yeah. and hundreds, thousands of people, yeah. and even was the front page of a magazine, wasn't it? June the 21st, 1971. June the 21st, 1971. It was on the front page of, of Time magazine. The entire issue was was devoted to it. It was a news week. I mean, you're talking, obviously, pre-World World War Web. World, World War Web. World Wide Web. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking prior to social media. But boy, did word get out. I mean, powerfully. The media were all over it. So 1971, actually, if you track it through from 67 to 74, which is pretty much the time frame of the Jesus people in the States there, 71 was the pinnacle. So it went upwards towards 71 and began to slide downwards a little bit from 71 onwards. So. Now, uh, we, we also used to say that, that in yeah. the movie, uh, of course, uh, Chuck Smith is played by Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I watched interviews with him on the television. Yes. And, and, of course, he is publicly saying that it was Friends he was in, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, I think he, so. and he said this was the best work that he had ever been Isn't engaged in as an actor. You know? And he was actually weeping uh, yeah, on yeah. the television fascinating. Uh, as, as he recounted, yeah. took, took the role of Chuck Smith. Sure. And of course, Jonathan Romney, who plays from the G- Chosen. Jesus from The Chosen, quite a different role for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. Lonnie was quite a controversial character, wasn't he? Yes, Lonnie was incredibly controversial. I mean, Partly because he was he was saved on a on a kind of LS, LSD trip. He was lying naked in this remote canyon, and Jesus appeared to him right in the thick of him being on a kind of acid LSD, LSD trip. That doesn't fit neatly into people's categories sometimes, you know. But that really happened. I mean, one ha- one has to say too that in his early days as a Christian, he was pretty confused. You know, um, people from the living room, which is one of the, one of the um, earliest storefront outreach outreach things, they actually picked him up. He was preaching both Jesus and UFOs, unidentified flying objects, yeah. together on the streets in in San Francisco. Francisco and there. Don't you think it's quite remarkable how God took this confused man Absolutely. and did this Absolutely. amazing work through him? Absolutely. But he was controversial for gender, sex, sexuality yes, issues. Yes, of course. Yeah, and that came out. And I guess a lot of people, some people have tried to devalue almost yes. the move yes. of God with those those, those hippies because yes. of, of, of what happened to Laurie and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Now, Precisely. Where does Greg uh, uh, Greg Laurie fit into the picture? Okay, so Greg Laurie was led as a very young man at school to Jesus by Lonnie Frisbee. So Lonnie, but very different character. Well, interesting, uh, you know, because church history is very, very instructive. I think personally, so Lonnie Frisbee turns up at I think it was Harbour Harbour High School. I think I think yeah. can't. 
quite remember. And and gave a talk about Jesus. Um, Greg Laurie responds uh, to Jesus, just is absolutely converted um, wholly, uh, and then goes on to lead Harvest um, Harvest Harvest uh, Fellowship. Uh, and, of and, course, and, he's, so, and so on. He's going strong still. And of he course, is Chuck, going strong. Chuck has recently been promoted to heaven. He's, absolutely. he's passed away. Absolutely. Now, that was the States, but yeah. your book features yeah. mainly on the United Kingdom. Absolutely. So, Let's talk about the UK. Let's fly the flag for Britain. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, Andrew Whitman is my very special guest today. We've been talking about uh, the Jesus people and about Andrew's new book, When Jesus Met Hippies. We talked about how the movement started in the United States of America, but now we're going to focus on the UK because we, we, we were blessed as well, weren't we? Abso- absolutely. So interestingly, um, things began to filter over the Atlantic, uh, kind of late late 60s, early 70s. You know, news got out, uh, music came came here. So Larry Norman played uh, a series of 38 gigs in 35 days. Do you know, I, I saw him live in absolutely. Manchester of all places. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. absolutely and incredible. Free Hall, yeah. And that was his, his honeymoon, actually. With, with Pamela, so playing 38 gigs in 35 days on his honeymoon. Who oh, knows? Wow. Who knows? Very romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Not. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> totally. But, um, you know, we had our own kind of brand of Jesus People movement, uh, basically here in the UK. One of the most interesting bodies is a group called Jesus Liberation Front. So Jesus Liberation Front began in the kind of early 70s, uh, was around for roughly six, seven years. So basically, this particular community came out of a kind of Sunday school work in Hemel Hempstead. So they formed this kind of body called Sunny Hill Fellowship, began to reach out to kids in the local community, and then they began to reach out to youth. And they were particularly fruitful uh, and and so on. And they had a lot of new believers on their hands to actually uh, disciple. I mean, those were the kind of scenes during the early Jesus people days. You couldn't keep up with the horses. You know, God was so powerfully, quickly at work that you were struggling to run behind him. Uh, basically, um, so Jesus Liberation Front came out of that. And, ha- w- sorry, w- was there a sort of clash of cultures? Because obviously, here yeah. you have this huge movement birthing yeah. in the yeah, UK, yeah. but yeah. obviously, all the traditional stuff yes. there as well. I mean, I mean, interestingly, so Jesus Jesus Liberation Front, headed up by Jeff Bone and Chris Boxall, uh, two uh, two amazing, amazing guys who I interviewed Jeff Bone at length. Uh, Previous to him going to be with Jesus last last uh, year year actually, so JLF as it's commonly commonly termed, at one time had three thousand members. They had loads of youth all over the UK. They trained them in evangelism, kind of action weekends, where they trained them, enthused them, motivated them. But interestingly, in terms of your question previously there, um, they worked alongside local churches. They didn't compete with them. They worked in partnership largely with local churches. Which is so, great, isn't it? Which, which is fantastic. Because that would have helped to, to bring the two cultures together. Absolutely. So the more established church 
churches were supportive generally of JLF and vice versa too. So there was a living partnership. Oh, great song that, wasn't it? And of course, you're passionate about about the homegrown, uh, you know, Absolutely. answer to the Jesus culture. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. So interestingly, J J L F in in Hamel Hamel Hempstead, uh, they actually saw saw people saved, discipled, and interestingly, in contrast to the Jesus people in California, they used to um, publicly baptize people at Pirates Cove, masses and masses baptized baptized there. And in Hemel, they were baptised new believers in the local rivers. Oh, fantastic. How amazing. So public baptism. A wee bit cooler, though. A little bit chilly. Yes. A wee bit, a wee bit chilly. <laughs> yeah. but, but JLF were absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, they, re- they resourced young people. They were very conciliatory with local established churches, but they were cutting-edge youth ministries, so absolutely brilliant. And, and actually, the, one, of the, one of the co-founders, Jeff, Jeff Bone, had a very interesting, sad, sad, tragic uh, story, really. He was due to fly from Gatwick to Belfast, Belfast, Belfast Northern yeah. Ireland, hooray, hooray. Saints and scholars, Abs- Andrew. You know? Absolutely, yeah. too right. And cutting a very long story short, he was late to get on the train to get through to this particular flight and sadly fell between the train and the platform and had both legs amputated, sadly. Terrible. Which was a total tragedy. I mean, so well known that people all over the the UK knew. Yeah, Yeah, uh, globally probably too. But that God brings good things out of tragedy uh, sometimes. So, you know, that actually um, elicited further, further growth uh, in JLF's amazing, amazing ministry. So, Now, one of the things, of course, that through all of your story so yeah. far, uh, and, and your life, actually, yeah. is the Word of God, the Bible. Absolutely. Uh, which, of course, many of us don't read it enough. Absolutely. Uh, but... Your next song is Fool's Wisdom, but before yeah. we play that, mm. uh, Harry, why is Scripture so central to all of this? I think it's absolutely foundational. I mean, I don't know how I could do without the written Word of God. I mean, obviously, we also need the Spirit of God to, to, make to it breathe on well, it. Well, he teaches abs- us. He teaches abs- us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but to me, the Bible has been absolutely foundational. I can still remember carrying my little hardback RSV New Testament into the student union at Leeds University as a, as a young Christian. And I was underlining furiously most of Matthew 24, which interestingly is about the second coming of Jesus. I was scintillated by the, by the whole thing. So, uh, you know, the Bible is absolutely foundational and I've been seeking to teach it for the last 50 years. Yeah, well, of course, at Moreland, in, you've, you've in been very abs- engaged. Absolutely. Abs- Absolutely. And it hasn't lost its power, has it? And of course, in terms of the armour of God, it's, you know, the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, we need to treat the Bible with care and, and, and respect, you know, and to bow before authority, basically, because it is God's word to me. At least, and to it's, all of us, and it's worth yeah. it's worth treasuring. So Paul says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom." 
Now, th- this song from Malcolm and Auburn, yeah. which actually I, I've always loved playing, it's a yeah. good golden oldie now, yeah. it's called Fool's Wisdom. And yeah. I guess that, that I guess, is the lie of the devil, isn't it? Because yeah. because he thinks that that all this stuff is all dusty old book, you know. Absolutely. Uh, of course, it's the world's best-selling book uh, yeah. and so on. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, the, the song Fool's Wisdom, what, what is it that, that makes it special to you? I think it just emits the whole thing that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3, that the Bible leads us to two things, really. It brings us to salvation in Jesus Christ, and it also brings us into teaching, discipleship, learning, to be lifelong lifelong learners. Those two things, initial salvation through the person and work of the Lord Jesus, that never ends with its fascination and intrigue and glory, but also to be taught as Christian disciples. It's great commission, basically. You know, it's make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. Final little punt here, here if I may. Malcolm and Alwyn, both Brits. Hooray! Northern, Northern lads. Yeah. Hey, wonderful. Converted here and then became... Calvary Chapel pastors in the States, but Alwyn is still the pastor of the Westminster London Congregation of Calvary Chapel. But they're both Brits. Fantastic. Take it away, guys. Malcolm and Alwyn there with Fool's Wisdom, uh, talking about the importance of, of the Bible. And of course, the other big message that comes out of uh, today is, well, buy the book, uh, because <laughs> clearly there's, some, Absolutely. there's much, much more that we can talk about. Yeah. But, but the overriding theme of this entire program, and indeed yes. the theme of the book, is the importance of looking to Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, at this time of year, there is no better time. But Absolutely. you can't celebrate or separate his his birth from his his death and mm. and from his glorious resurrection. Absolutely. Now you're passionate about this, so you better say why we should be looking to Jesus. <laughs> Actually, if if I may, I just love to read a verse from what from one Peter three, uh, verse eighteen. So Peter says here, absolutely amazing, amazing verse. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous him, for the unrighteous me, us, to bring you to God. I just think there's a fabulous way to focus on the person of Jesus. I just want to say really clearly and and boldly uh, this morning, if you're out there listening, please do call upon the name of Jesus because that is the way to, to be saved. It's much more complicated in one sense, but it's also simple. Yeah. So the Bible clearly says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will, will be saved. Be saved. I just encourage you just to speak out loud to say, Jesus, please save me. Well, you know, that's the overriding message of this radio station. 
And what better at this time of the year? The best Christmas gift you can give yourself is to reach out to Jesus and invite him into your life. And it doesn't matter how far away you think you are from him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your father. He loves you intently. Uh, And everything that we've been talking about today with the Jesus people, it was God, a God who loves, a God who poured out his spirit, a God who continues to do that through his church. And even that church that he loved so much and died for, that, that he is working amongst us all the time to bring us to that place where we can continue to work in partnership with him to serve him. We're going to go out with the brand new, something contemporary from Charity Gill, her brand new song, the lyric, uh, I would... I can already say this because it it brings me to tears just listening to this song. It's called Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood, of clearly the price for our salvation, the price for our freedom was Jesus' death. Uh, and the the glory of the resurrection, I mean, yeah. your final chapters deal with this, don't they? Absolutely. So, so interestingly, one of my final chapters, chapter 28, I actually say to readers how can you and i begin to inhabit god's big story of friendship with him you know it's directly addressed to people who are seeking seeking to understand seeking to understand who jesus is why he came relevance to today and i just encourage you to read the book in the light of that and also even more importantly as malcolm and alwyn talked about that fool's wisdom to actually sit down maybe for the first time maybe afresh to look afresh at one of the gospel records. Just take one of them simply, begin to read through it slowly and pray what I call the agnostics prayer. I don't understand, I don't know at this point in time, but please God, whatever is true here about Jesus, please show me. And if necessary too, if there's an alpha course coming up near you, I can commend it entirely. Get on a good Alpha course locally here or even online and find out more about Jesus. Why don't you look into Jesus well, first this and, Christmas time? First and foremost, read the Bible. Absolutely. Uh, the Fool's Wisdom book, it'll change your life. Absolutely. And, and secondly, uh, get a copy of When Jesus Met Hippies. You'll get it down in Key Jones. You'll bless them by buying it. Thank you. And, and you'll bless Andrew. Uh, well, you know, uh, I'm going to play the song to go out of the program with. Big thank you to you, Andrew. You're, a big thank Thank you to you too, Blair. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed your company and I've enjoyed the company of our amazing listeners. Absolutely. And Andrew will be back in, in the new year, so don't you Promise. Don't you worry <laughs> about it. Well, the blood of Jesus, the spilled blood of Jesus it has opened up the way. We have forgiveness through the blood. We have freedom through his spilled blood on the cross. Those of you who have known him for some time will know what I'm talking about. But those of you who perhaps don't, as Andrew said, just reach out to him, look to him. And in him, you'll have many, many surprises and adventures. Yes, you will have challenges as well, because the little devil who is a defeated foe, he he doesn't like me saying this uh, to you, uh, Hmm. but uh, Jesus has overcome. You reach out to him this Christmas uh, and have a very different Christmas experience, a very different life.